0: The Daily Tap is live for Friday. It is June 16th. Why do we have to stop playing the Brewers blame game? Zach Levine to the Bucks, no thanks. We'll talk a little more on Bucks trade potentials. And then are the Packers gonna be the fastest team in football? All of that and more. Uh, make sure that you're supporting on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, Tap the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook. Uh, Make sure that you are uh, subscribed to this podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. Overcast is another one that we see a lot of people listening on. So if you're listening on Overcast, shout out to you. And if you're already subscribed, you know, leave a review, leave a rating. Uh, If you want something from me, that's the easiest way to do it. And then you can say, "Hey, I, I left your rating. I left your review. I want to know about this. I, I have a question on this. All right, I want this topic specifically for you to talk about. I will do that for you. I, I that." That is a promise to you. Uh, I had someone do that to me who asked about a rumor that I had said, and I was like, "All right, that's that's good. That's it. That's how you, that's how you can do it. I, that's like virtual currency right now. So do that. Uh, get in the mix. We really appreciate it, and we're gonna get spicy today. Uh, so let's let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers blame game and why it needs to stop. It sucks to be a Brewer fan right now. It absolutely sucks." It has never been a worse time to be a Milwaukee Brewer fan. Now, I'm sure there are Royals fans who are like, oh yeah, doom is gloom is me. Uh, you, you're dealing with a 500 baseball team. You're still top near the top of your division. You've been a very good baseball team for pretty much the last five years. I feel really bad for you. I'd respond to that Royals fan and be like, motherfucker, you have a World Series ring, so shut up. <laughs> like That's the first thing I would say. Uh, hard mf uh in the first two minutes of the pods. So usually a good sign uh, for things to come on the podcast uh, today. But honestly, it, it's, an all, it's awful. It's so just not fun to enjoy Brewers baseball right now. And I realize that's a little, maybe not the most grammatically correct, but it's the best way to put it because... Everybody is so mad at everything about Brewers baseball. And it's kind of like, why do you fan? Why are you a fan of this team? Why are you watching this baseball team? I realize it is the only thing on. But I, I shudder to think this is an enjoyable way to watch sports. You just hate watching, basically. You're just watching because you think that at some point, everything's going to fix itself, that everything is going to turn around. And most of the blame has been centered on Mark Ananasio, the owner of the Brewers. People who, there's been a lot of sell the team, Mark, uh, pretty much since the Josh Hader trade. Now, maybe it happened before the Josh Hader trade, but the Josh Hader trade dumped a pile of gasoline on a already sort of simmering fire. People want Mark Ignacio to sell. People believe that if the Milwaukee Brewers sell the team to somebody else, that they would somehow be better. I will tell you right now, you are living in fucking la-la land if you think that is the case. First of all, there's not a ton of money here in the state of Wisconsin. We have rich people. I don't know if we have owning team rich. If we had owning team rich, there would be a Wisconsin billionaire that would own the Milwaukee Bucks. But instead, there are two guys from New York who own that team, right? Now, New York and Ohio with Jimmy Haslam. But you get my point. The original team was Wes Edens, Mark Lazary, and Jamie Dimon. By the way, Jamie Dimon, there's rumors he might run for president. with uh, it's still just the world we live in. <laughs> Anyways, now to sidetrack here. So whoever buys the Milwaukee Brewers, if Mark Ananasio were to sell, would not be from Milwaukee, would not be from Wisconsin. People don't seem to understand that. When you tell people, hey, hey, Mark should sell the team, and you're like, well, what if an investor from Nashville buys him? What if Jimmy Haslam buys him, right? Jimmy Haslam has a lot of money. What if Jimmy Haslam says, instead of buying the Milwaukee Bucks, gets an idea of what the Brewers are and decides to buy the team? And Jimmy Haslam, who's a Tennessee guy, his brother, was a former governor of the state of Tennessee, uh, decides to move the team down to Nashville. What happens then? Then there's no Brewer baseball. Then the Brewers go away. The Brewers aren't a thing. What if an investor from Charlotte decides to buy the team? Guess what? The Brewers are in Charlotte. What if an investor from Portland decides to buy the team? Probably unlikely, but you get my point. The Brewers will not be here. The Brewers will cease to exist if Mark Ananasio sells the team. Now, I'm not just ready to suck Mark's dick, okay? I think he's made a lot of mistakes here. I'm not, I I think the Brewers, from a PR angle, handled last year extremely poor. I think they did an awful job building a community. They've gotten a lot better. They obviously have a new social team in place and they've done a good job this season with it. And I think the Brewers letting that sort of slide after getting rid of Caitlin Moyer and having this weird transition really affected, I think, the fan base online and cultivated sort of this toxicity. They let it kind of creep in. They let it seep in. And instead of kind of finding ways to put an end to it, you know, this freshman series that they're doing, which is great, it's fantastic. They should have done two years ago. This this should have been done. We should already have like known the stories of Joey Weimer, Bryce Trang, and other guys that they have brought up through the Milwaukee Brewer system. And so, I think the fact that Mark Anasio allowed this to happen, he basically cultivated this in a weird way in terms of how he, you know, the stadium and the fan, the you know, pl- players on the field. And, it, and Ryan Kahn did a really good thing about how, you know, Marc Anasio hasn't really spent a ton of money. He has a, lot, a little bit of the Herb Cole vibes that he's just trying to be competitive. And I, I don't think you can compare the two, honestly. Because I think getting into the playoffs for the Milwaukee for baseball is a lot more difficult than basketball. Even though they've expanded, it's still a very hard thing to do. It's 162 games versus 81 or 80, I think it's 82 in, in the NBA. But you get my point. I, I just think it's more difficult, and so because of that, I, I don't necessarily buy into that fact. What I do buy into is that the Brewers have just continued to wade in the same pool of water. They are in a dirty, smelly kiddie pool of water instead of tipping it over or going in the fucking deep end and saying, "You know what? We're gonna go for it." 2021, when the Brewers were a very good baseball team, and the Atlanta Braves made a lot of moves because Ronald Acuna gets hurt, and the Braves make a ton of moves, and they're like little—they're even—they're not even that big of moves. Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, uh, there were a few others, but those are the two that that stand out to me. They make these moves and they win the World Series and the Atlanta Braves got hot and they steamrolled the Milwaukee Brewers. That Milwaukee Brewers team was good. All the Brewers did was get Eduardo Escobar, who was a, basically a zero player for the Brewers. They didn't really know how to use him. He It didn't seem like he was maybe the best clubhouse guy. And it's like, you compare that with what the Braves did. The Braves did more than just Duvall and uh, Rosario. But, the Braves set themselves up for success and the Brewers did not. The Brewers rested on their laurels. And I think that is the overall blame of Mark Gnacio is that he's rested on his laurels far too often. Far too often the Milwaukee Brewers owner has rested on the laurels of 2018 and 2011 and, and that has led to sort of this toxic fan base. Because I think if Mark Ananasio just stuck his neck out once, especially in 2021, when that Brewers team was good, and there wasn't a ton of competitive baseball being played in the NL until the Braves got really hot there at the very end, the Brewers could have, could have been a World Series team that year. That, that could have been on the table for them had they made sure they had more offensive firepower. And they didn't realize that. And whether that is Ananasio, whether that is David Stern, so I'm going to talk about here in a second, uh, I think that that has to be recognized. And then 2022, you're in this malaise, you trade Josh Hader, and that was that just killed, I think, the casual fan. But as Mitch and I talked about yesterday, which you go listen to, where he did Brewers there as well, the, right now they're 14th in attendance. They were 13th in attendance last year. The casual fan might be just out on the Brewers right now. The casual fan might not have a reason to go to the ballpark at this moment. So maybe they don't matter. And I think when they traded Josh Hader, they felt like the the casual fan base didn't matter and they felt like they maximized the deal. But the Brewers handled it so fucking poorly from the clubhouse to the fan base that it has created basically a powder keg of awfulness. And that ha- that 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 falls on your owner because that is the leader now the, now the story on Mark, and I, I want to get to other parts of this because I don't think that Mark, it, it, it's just Mark. And then why I feel like the blame game has gone too far and needs to stop and that we just need to accept what the Brewers are this season. There is a story on that he is going to lead the relocation team uh, that's discussing the Oakland A's to Las Vegas. Some believe that this is a sign that Mark Ananasio is ready to move the Milwaukee Brewers. I do not think that is any way possible. I do not believe that for a second. Rather, what I believe is that Mark Ananasio is gathering intel, providing to legislators, providing to the lawyers of the Milwaukee Brewers, and basically giving them, you know, all the different things of why the Oakland Athletics are moving to Las Vegas beyond just John Fisher being kind of a bad guy and not really maintaining the Oakland Athletics Park. I think that's the part that's missed here. You can say all you want about the A's attendance. You can say all you want about, you know, sort of the product on the field, which has been actually pretty good. But I think the fundamental issue is the fact that the A's let their stadium go to absolute fucking shit. And because of that is why the Oakland A's are moving. I think it has less to do with, you know the fan base more so with the facilities, and they let the facilities run into the ground. And it almost seems per- purposeful. I think that's the point that some are missing. And so for for the Brewers, I think the Brewers want to avoid that. And I, I think part of Mark Anoasio being the on the head of the Brewers, head of the relocation, is that he wants to he wants to look at what they need to do, and then he can provide a very specific use case to legislature legislators here in milwaukee in wisconsin and say look we need this this and this done and we won't end up like oakland i don't want to end up like oakland i do not want to sell the team here i have no interest in selling the milwaukee brewers to the highest bidder and the highest bidder takes the brewers and moves them to a bigger media market i do not want to do that rob manfred doesn't want to do that although it Seems like maybe he does. I, I will let everybody have their own opinion there. So that's what I think is happening. And also too, just worth noting, when you're a rich guy and you're an owner, you get named to boards. It's a kind of a rotational thing. There are volunteers, but I I'm, I would assume here that Mark Ananasio volunteered himself or that he expressed interest in this you know, to talk this out. He's also a real estate guy. That, that should also not be forgotten, right? So there's gonna be obviously talks about real estate. There'll be talks about the real estate in Vegas. They'll talk about real estate here in Oakland. So I think having a guy who has real estate background is probably helpful in a relocation scenario. Just remember that too. So yeah, I I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I know people have made it already a big deal. Uh, So I'm just trying to get ahead of it. So the blame on Ananasio is going to continue. People will want him to sell, but I just think it's a tad misguided. I do think there are things to be mad at, but it's not just all Mark Ananasio's fault. David Stearns, speaking of people's faults, has gotten the ultimate pass. It's amazing to see the pass that David Stearns has got here because David Stearns has set the Brewers up for essentially failure and that David Stearns Did not really put up a competitive roster in 2022. The Brewers hung around. They really weren't that great. Again, waiting in that same pool, as we talked about earlier. And partial is due to David Stearns. And David Stearns did not necessarily make the moves that made the Brewers better. You know, the Josh Hayter trade did ultimately, I think will ultimately make this team better, but it was the wrong time. We've discussed that at Nauseam. We don't need to go, go further. But David Stearns gave Matt Arnold a pile of shit. David Stern said, hey, figure this out. Good luck. And Matt Arnold's done some nice things. I I, I think the you know con, the Contreras deal has been good. I think some of the signings the Brewers have made have, have at least kept the Brewers above float, right? Owen Miller has been good. I know he's struggling recently, but he he basically kept the brewers alive in the month of May. So the May wasn't as bad. It was bad, but it wasn't, it could have been worse. And, and Owen Miller, you know, kind of saved it from being worse. So I think you have, to, you have to at least acknowledge that David Stearns has some of the blame here. And now I know the Ananasio haters will be like, well, it's because Mark didn't let him cook. I don't know. This is kind of always what David Stearns was. David Stearns made some moves, but at some point he kind of got stagnant. He didn't necessarily keep making moves. Like look at a Theo Epstein, right? Theo Epstein made moves and got his team to championships both times around. But after he won those championships, he kind of he got complacent. Andrew Freeman, who I think is probably the best to do it at the Dodgers, has had this unique combination of getting top tier talent, but also developing a farm system. That's the other thing that shouldn't be understated here with David Stearns. David Stearns did a terrible job managing that farm system in the last three to four years. The Brewers, you know, in 2023 being, you know, kind of average and and waiting in the same pool is a indictment on the farm system. It's showing that the Brewers have basically produced nothing out of that farm system. And that falls on the feet of David Stearns. Now, you could say, well, that's partly due to trades. That's partly due to other things. True. But it also is the fact that the Brewers had bad drafts. And that falls on the feet of, you know, the Brewers management, you know, prior to Matt Arnold and they did a good job of finding Jackson Trio and Tyler Black and Jefferson Carro and some of those guys, Jacob Mur- Murnowski, Murkowski, I'm gonna bit butcher his name, maybe we just call him Jacob Miz. Uh, there's some real talent in the Brewers farm system and they've rebuilt this farm system, but it took forever to get there. The Dodgers, for example, just kind of plug and play, right? They lose you know, prospects like Jordan Alvarez, but, the end of the day, they have a World Series, the essence of Mickey Mouse one, but they have one. David Stearns deserves way more blame than he's he's gotten. And I don't hear it enough. We we just default to Mark Ananasio. But David Stearns has a has some blood on his hands. And I, I feel like he's sort of getting away scot-free. So just food for thought when you're you know blaming people. The other part of this blame game that needs to needs to be addressed. Is the fact that the Brewers haven't really, the Brewers fans haven't necessarily sent it off to the players. The players have somehow eluded the blame and they, they deserve it. Roy Telez has had an awful season. Jesse Winker has been absolutely nothing. Hidden well in AAA. Hopefully, you know, he brings it over to the MLB. There's been flashes of brilliance from Joey Weimer, but it's mostly been on defense besides that one hot week. Uh, last week uh, before the Brewers' losing streak happened. Bryce Trang's down in Nashville. William Contreras has been all right, but not necessarily great. I Estorio I, Ruiz has had a better season. Now, I'm not advocating they should have kept Estorio Ruiz. I think they were had a log jam in the outfield. You had to get rid of one of them. And that was the guy the Oakland A's wanted. Imagine if the Oakland A's wanted Garrett Mitchell before Garrett Mitchell got hurt. And I realize he got hurt. So maybe you could say, well, that would actually help the Brewers. But who knows, right? Uh, Christian Yelich has been the only one worth a damn on this offense, which is wild when Yelich had so many haters and a lot of the blame was basically, you'd spin the wheel, it was like, who do I blame today? Do I blame Marc Ananasio? Do I blame Christian Yelich? But how is Rowdy escaping being so bad? Willie Adamas wasn't even, I didn't even mention Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas is hitting fucking 204. Luis Urias is is not even hitting 100 and still getting fucking at bats. The Milwaukee Brewers, need to be a little more cutthroat with their lineup. They need to be a little more like, we're not just going to settle for the same fucking thing over and over again. Luis Urias should be a bench player right now. Andrew Monastero should be getting Luis Urias' at-bats right now, because he's not good. Owen Miller has been pretty bad for the last few weeks. There's a case to be made to maybe start cutting bait with Owen Miller and playing Owen Miller a little bit less. So the Brewers, to me, are in this weird situation where this offense has, you know, been low tier. It's been a bad, bad offensive team. And then you go to the, the, the pitching staff and it's not much better. Colin Ray has the third most starts on this team. Colin Ray, that's terrible. That, like, no wonder they're 500, right? The bullpen has been shaky at best the last few weeks. They've cost the Brewers two games already, Orioles and the Devin Williams will save on Tuesday night. Uh, the Orioles won on Thursday. And then you could also add the Oakland game on Sunday because had, they, had the Brewers held their water, had they not given up three more runs in the eighth inning, they might have came back and won that game on a walk-off. So that's three games in that losing streak that are attributed to the bullpen. So those, for somehow, we're, we're not blaming any of that. We're not blaming any of the players. That's wrong. We should be mad at the players. We should be frustrated that Willie Adams has been in nothing this year. We should be frustrated that Rowdy Telez is kind of fading back to the Rowdy that got released by Tampa, by Toronto. Those we should be frustrated that Colin Ray is our third. You know, has the third most starts, and he's been pretty average to bad. He's starting to be more Jason Alexandery, which was my fear in the first place. So hopefully things will get fixed, right? It's a long baseball season. We could laugh at this maybe in a month from now because the Brewers got hot and they've taken control of the NL Central. It starts this weekend though against Pittsburgh Pirates. It's the biggest homestand of the season. You have Pittsburgh and you have a very good Arizona team who you could potentially be playing in the second round. The Brewers could make a true fucking statement this weekend as well as this week. Let's hope they do it. And let's hope that maybe the blame gets shifted in different directions. Moving on from the Milwaukee Brewers to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have found themselves all in trade talks. Obviously, the Bradley Beal stuff, which we talked about yesterday at great length on the Tapping the Keg podcast. But now Zach Levine has been entered into the chat. Uh, Zach Levine, according to sources, has the Bulls are gauging interest on what teams might have for Zach Levine? Now, if you remember, Zach Levine was—I don't know if it was like a, a fan thing or if it was actually rumored that there was some talk that he might go to the New York Knicks, and that never that never uh, developed. That never, you know, became a actual thing. Zach Levine's still on the Chicago Bullets. Zach Levine has a massive contract, just like Bradley Beal, four years left. Um, it is not, I think, as big of a deal as Bradley Beal. But it's still a, a large contract. It's still a contract that you would have to pay for years, and would create, you know, maybe some issues with the second apron that that we have. But I'm not a fan of Zach Levine. I do not want Zach Levine on the Milwaukee Bucks roster. That is a hard pass for me. I do not see Zach Levine as a guy who. Would be a winning player for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now I've said similar things about Bradley Beal in the past. I'm not gonna not gonna run from it. You can go look it up. I've, I'm sure. I don't know exactly what podcast was said, but I have said in the past that I don't think Bradley Beal is a winning player. I I still somewhat stand by it. I, I'm not as big of a fan of Bradley Beal as maybe some others are, but I'm willing to I'm willing to be accepting of it because. I trust John Horace, I I trust management, I trust they know what they're doing. And if Bradley Beal is the best case scenario out of Dame Lillard, Zach Levine, James Harden, not that they would sign James Harden, but James Harden, um, I'm trying to think of other names, Kyrie Irving, like if they were like, that's the best guy that we can do is, is Bradley Beal. That's what we can give you, like pawn stars. The best we can do is Bradley Beal. I'd be like, all right, cool. Like let's let's kind of rebuild this Bucks roster. Let's let's go for it. And I want to talk a little more kind of Beal stuff that we didn't make the podcast yesterday. But staying on Levine, I just I don't see Zach Levine in that same realm. He's a little bit younger. Yes, that would help out. He's a little bit of a bigger player. Um, he he would add a little more size to what the Bucks are. Um, he's currently getting paid as the third highest shooting guard, highest paid player on the Bulls, 16th highest player in the overall NBA. And I just do not think Zach Levine matches that value. Uh, he's, he's a fine player, but I just, I feel like he's a good stats, bad team guy. I have not seen Zach Levine in one big game. Bradley Beal has at least played in some meaningful playoff games. Now, he's only got to the second round, yes, but he at least has a little bit of that experience. Zach Levine hasn't even touched the second round. Zach Levine, honestly, if you you want a comparison, he's not as good as this, but he's kind of like a homeless man's team act in this, in that way in terms of being a winning basketball player. And I just, I don't necessarily see it with Zach Levine, so I don't, I don't get that. From Bucks fans. I don't understand, you know, it yes, he's a high flyer, but he's very ball dominant too. That's the other part. Is Zach Levine really going to just fit in with what the Milwaukee Bucks want to do? I, I feel like there's way too much of, hey, I haven't shot the ball in a while. I need to cook for a bit. I need to just, you know, take over this game. You know, that was the thing I talked about with Jay Crowder, where it's like Jay Crowder would have these moments, you know, I didn't really see it in Milwaukee because I didn't think he played enough where he'd be like, okay, hey, it's Jay Crowder time. And that's with Zach Levine. And I think it's worse because he's, he thinks of himself as a star. And would Zach Levine want to take a backseat? Would Zach Levine want to be a number two to a very good team? I have no idea. So I, I look at that and I, I just, I'm against it. Because I just don't, I'm against it for who Zach Levine is. I'm also against it for being the Bulls. I don't think you should trade inside your division. I'm very against that. I realize NBA, it's less of that. I think for baseball and for football, you barely see it. Um, it just makes me weirdly uncomfortable because it's like, what if that person becomes a star for that team? And then basically you have to play them four times a year, they're in your conference, you're taking a massive risk. Now I know some have floated out the idea of Darius Garland to the Bucks for Drew Holiday and, and other pieces, right? that's been a, a deal talked about or, or a, a trade that's been suggested. That's a unique scenario. That's one where it's like, all right, you're taking a, I wouldn't even say a risk, but you're basically resetting the deck on young talent. And you're getting a guy who looks like a ball player who could really play and the Cavs are desperate because they're, the contract's coming up on on Donovan Mitchell already. So they need to make moves. They need to make something happen you know, with Donovan Mitchell. And so they're, you know, it's a desperation move. I don't think trading Zach Levine is a des- desperation move for the Chicago Bulls. I just think it's the Chicago Bulls, you know, maybe not necessarily rebuilding, but sort of resetting the deck, resetting expectations of what the Bulls are. I guess it would be somewhat of a rebuild because they, the Bulls are like, all right, we, we got this far and it's not gonna work out for us. And, you know, Vucevic, I know they... Apparently we're talking extension for him. So it'd be weird for them to do, okay, Vucevic and Levine are your two guys under this apron clause. And then just say, actually, we're going to say fuck the lemons and bail. We're going to restart our entire team, get a bunch of picks and use Zach Levine to get those picks. And if that's the case, the Milwaukee Bucks aren't necessarily the team for them. And I think we have to think about this when we're trading, you know, players, whether it's Holiday or Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, others, is that I don't necessarily think that you you it's a two-team deal because the Bucks don't have the the pick asset, right? The Bucs don't have the picks to necessarily support it. So you have to involve teams that are hungry for playoffs and that have picks. Portland, for example, has the 23rd pick. They have the New York Knicks pick, which is 23rd, right? You and Portland it, for all intents and purposes, doesn't necessarily want to rebuild per, per what you've heard from a lot of people. So you can involve Portland in a deal, right? Portland gets into whether it's the Levine business or the Beale business, and they're able to sort of be that conduit. So it's not one-to-one. Now, I think there are teams where it is more one-to-one because they're ready to be in the playoffs immediately, whether that's like a Memphis or a Sacramento, or in Atlanta, DeJounte Murray has been mentioned as someone in trade talks. Then I think you can realistically be like, all right, yeah, that's a one-to-one trade. That's the Bucks and the Hawks. That's the Bucks and the Grizzlies. That's the Bucks and the Kings. When you're talking about the Bulls and the Wizards, I don't think they want Drew Holiday. I don't think they want that asset because I think, I mean, they could they could have it, right? And then trade it again in February, but it's it becomes more of a depreciated asset because there's only a year and a half left on holidays, deal, but I, I just, I wonder if those teams are going to go for getting a guy like Holiday for a couple of years if they're trying to reset their roster. Now, Holiday from a financial perspective would help that, but I, I still wonder: is that, is that going to be worth it for those teams? I don't know. Um, that, that remains to be seen. Now, some of the more Beal stuff that I, I feel like is interesting is. Adrian Wojnarowski was on with Ryan Rosillo. You know, I'm not a huge Woj guy. Um, mostly because I think he wrecked the Bo, Bojan, Bojan? Bojan, Bojanovic? No, I forget which Bogdanovich it is, but you know, the one at Atlanta uh, um, that butchered that. Uh, he, anyways, he butchered that. He butchered the Bogdanovich trade. You know, that's that's why I'm not a huge fan of Adrian Wojnarowski. But I, I listened to it because I'm a Ryan Rosillo stan, and he kind of, I would say, didn't necessarily buy the fact that Bradley Beal was going to get traded. Remember, he just had Ted Leonsis on his podcast too, uh, so that's interesting. I'm not, probably not going to go and listen to that. I won't go that far. I maybe should have if I'm a, a true big J, but I will say that Woj was like, yeah, it's basically like we'll trade you if you want if you want out. Like if you don't believe in this and you you want out, we'll we'll let you go. But then there's also the side of if you, if you feel like this is a quick rebuild and we can kind of make you the dame of Washington and we'll make some moves and we'll sort of reset this roster and you're going to be the focal point of that said roster, you're just going to have to endure maybe two bad years. And then after those years, you're going to have a chance to really you know see this out and see the vision. And if Bradley Beal is down with that, he might say, all right, cool, let's ride. Remember, he has a no-trade clause. So because of the no-trade clause, they have to work with the teams that Bradley Beal wants to get traded to. If Bradley Beal is like, yeah, I mean, I'm using it as an example, but if, and they don't have the assets. But if Phoenix was like, oh, yeah, we want Bradley Beal, and he's like, I don't want to go play with Kevin Durant. Just total hypothetical. I know nothing. And they're like, all right, yeah, we can't necessarily do any sort of deals with that team. But if he's like, I want to be in Milwaukee or, or Miami, I want to play with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I really like Giannis. Giannis to me seems like the best pass to the championship. Then Washington and Milwaukee have to have those conversations. And that they necessarily have to say, they just have to say, hey, we're sending you to Milwaukee. Do you approve? The deal itself doesn't necessarily have to, I guess, go through Beal. I don't know how it all works, right? I don't know if Beal's like, hey, I, I don't want you. I, I want to play with this guy and this guy so you can't trade for him. I don't know if it, how how it all works in terms of the no trade clause. I think it would be fascinating to talk to a front office guy. This would be where it's like talking to a Bobby Marks or somebody else who is like, how does that exactly work, right? Are there assets that are like, hey, those guys can't can't come back because I want to play with those guys. Like how how deep is that no trade? So it, it sounds like Washington might trade Bradley Beal, but I also wonder, you know, is, if Bradley Beal is like, yeah, we'll, we'll ride. We'll sort of look at the new generation of the Wizards. Uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma has a player option that he could opt out of. Maybe Kyle Kuzma decides to opt into it. And it's Kuzma, Perzingis, and Beal. And you kind of build around that, that core. Uh, I don't necessarily think that core is getting you very far. Uh, Johnny Davis, I know, showed some flashes in April, but April basketball uh, stats are about as fugazi as they can get. So I'm not necessarily buying into that process. Uh, But if Johnny Davis is in the deal for Bradley Beal, I don't hate that. I I know a lot of Badger fans would love it. I personally, I'm always a fan of taking on, you know, distressed first round assets. Uh, I advocated for Malik Monk last year, despite what some of the haters might think, and Andrew Wiggins we saw you know come through in the NBA Finals. He was a distressed first-round asset. Aaron Gordon, another distressed first-round asset come through in this NBA Finals. So I'm all, And I'm not saying like Johnny Davis is going to have this character arc where he's a vital point of the Bucks winning another championship. would really be an unbelievable story given the fact he went to Wisconsin from lacrosse. But I, I do think that I'm okay if they put Johnny Davis in a deal. Uh, I, I'm totally fine with that. And so I do wonder. All right, is that you know going to be a part of this? Like, is that going to be you know some of the conversation there with Beal? Is like what guys you know are do you want or not want? And so I guess I'm more confused about where the Bradley Beal thing is going. I don't think it's a sign, seal, delivers. He's traded. I think the Bulls are gate. Are the Bulls? The Wizards are gauging interest just like the Bulls, and that to me is I think where we're at right now in the entire NBA. I think everybody's sort of asking around that I think that's why the Zion rumors are happening, right? I think everybody is having conversations because I think that the league is in such a weird spot with this apron and everyone's trying to figure it out. And so because everyone's trying to figure it out, you could see some deals that are completely unexpected because they have either a misunderstanding of what the apron will do, or they're seeing something in the future that we're not. And they're like, we're trying to avoid this, to avoid this apron. And as Woj pointed out in the podcast, a lot of teams are treating it as a hard cap. And I think that's probably the right way to do it. And that you know, ultimately is a problem for a lot of different NBA teams. So we'll see if any traction happens. Obviously, if some deal were to occur, over the weekend, we would have a live pot. I know I said that with Adrian Griffin back in the day, but I didn't. I didn't know that I'd have yard work up the ass that weekend that would wouldn't allow for that to happen. So I do apologize for that. I still feel bad about that um, because I was like, "Oh yeah, if, there, if this happens over over the weekend, we're we're here for you." But it was a crazy, uh, you know, late laborious weekend. So that those that was one of those moments where n- me not getting paid for this, me not you know, doing this for a living, you know, is a, there's a cause and effect there. But, so I apologize for that. But still, I, I, I look at the weekend. I, it should be okay to give Beal trade thoughts. Now, if it happens next weekend where I'm very, very busy, uh, that might be a problem, but we'll figure it out. When there's a will, there's a way. All right, we'll see if any deals come. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting times right now in Bucksland. All right, let's wrap up today's show with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, who we've, we talked about a little bit earlier this week. We talked about how they're not getting any respect. Minicamp is over. Uh, the Packers are now on summer break. I don't expect there to be a ton of Packer stories here in the next month. Now maybe a bombshell comes out and you know we have to talk about it, but we'll probably do a lot more evergreen stuff on Green Bay. But I thought Aaron Jones left people with a little bit of a morsel uh, for the season in talking with the media. Aaron Jones said this, and Jordan Love as well. The Packers offense is going to be fast, very fast. Everybody's learning, but they will do it at 100 miles per hour. I love that. I am all in on that idea. I'm all in on the idea of the Green Bay Packers being as fast as as humanly possible. The defense is also projected to be a fast team, a fast unit. This to me is very exciting as a as a Packer fan because I don't necessarily think I've ever remember the Packers as being a fast team as being an athletic team. and I don't necessarily know you know why why that is. I mean maybe it's you know starting from you know early Packer fandom, I never saw Dorsey Levins as a fast running back. Uh, you think about like all the running backs we grew up with, none of them necessarily, I would highlight as fast. And maybe this is me doing a bad job of remembering Packers past. But I always remembered these guys as more bruiser type running backs. Dorsey Levins, Amon Green, Ryan Grant. Like all of those guys are more like those bruising type backs. And the wide receivers are more of those possession type guys. Greg Jennings, who I thought was actually a little bit fast. Uh, Jordy Nelson, Down Driver. Uh, none of those really were those stretch the field types. That's why, you know, back in the day you wanted to trade for Randy Moss. And that was even before some of those guys that I'd mentioned. You know, Jermichael Finley was a breath of fresh air when he started. I know he was not necessarily everybody's favorite. But I think the reason why a lot of people liked Jermichael Finley back in the day is because A, he was fast and he provided this athleticism that the, the Green Bay Packers didn't necessarily have on their roster. And they hadn't had on their roster in a long time. So to go in this new era of Packer football, where they're going to be just flying around the field on both sides of the ball, where big plays are going to happen, it could be the great, greatest show on Frozen Tundra. That might be a little bit too far and we'll, we'll work on a better nickname. But there's an opportunity that the Green Bay Packers are going to be a very exciting, dynamic team and I am so in on this season. I've already been in, but the more and more I read on it, the more and more I think about this year, the more excited I get. Now, I could be setting myself up for failure, 100%. No, that that's on the table. But I am very excited to watch this generation of Packer football. This is a brand new era. And that to me is exciting in itself because you just kind of don't know what you're gonna get night in, night out. Packers could light the Bears on fire and win 35 to 13. And we could then all just be falling over ourselves because we're like, oh my God, this team's really, really good. And that would be a week one overreaction, right? Pat McAfee always does overreaction Mondays. That would be the peak of overreaction Monday. But it would at least tell you that maybe things are rolling in the right direction. Now, if Green Bay loses you know, by two scores to Chicago, I think we'd all look at that and say, okay, there's a lot of work to do. Maybe this team isn't as good as we think they are. Maybe they're a Caleb Williams team, potentially. There would be more overreactions the other way. And I think there has to be a balance of excitement, but also patience. And know like not one game is going to decide the season uh, that we should really evaluate after four games, five games, six games, and know like what's good about this team, what's bad about this team. There will be you know bright you know there'll be bright spots, there'll be low low spots as well, low spots I guess, low lights maybe the better way to say that. But yeah, I I'm excited for the potential of Green Bay being one of the fastest teams in football because that is unheard of in in you know Packer history. It just hasn't happened. I can't I can't find a team or think of a a time when. Green Bay had an extremely fast football team. If you if you can hit me up, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, because I just don't know if we've ever been known as a a team that's been fast. So it's I'm really interested in it. I'm I'm really excited, but I I think that's that adds to that excitement, right? Oh, this is another brand new thing. Like oh. You're bringing out this, you know, meal. It's like it's like being at dinner, and someone's like, "Hey, I'm trying this brand new thing, and it's, it's new and exciting. It's like this brand new steak cutout." The, the Green Bay Packers should be. It should be an exciting time. Uh, I know we'll talk a lot more about it as we get closer to the season, but yeah, that's a that's a good way to leave it. That they're they're a fast football team, and get get excited for the fast and furious Packers. Uh, get excited for the Young Money Packers. I've been tempted on both of those as potential T-shirt ideas. I've always talked about getting in the T-shirt game. The reason I think I haven't gotten t T-shirt game is because it's an oversaturated market. And I don't know if the ROI would be worth it. But yeah, the Young Money Packers has been something that I've thought about. Uh, just because, you know, Lil Wayne, even though he's a Fairweather fan, people forget that. That he bailed on the Packers halfway through the season. Uh, the young Money Packers would work, obviously, with Wheezy's connection uh to Green Bay and then the Fast and Furious Packers, given the fact that they're, you know, going to be, as Aaron Jones and Jordan Love has said, one of the fastest teams in football. I think those are two nicknames that I've I've developed. I wouldn't say I've trademarked, but we're we're starting to develop. And maybe, maybe we'll find more uh, as the year or as the summer goes on as we get ready for Packer season. All right, that does it for today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We will be back on Monday. Uh, Might not be right away in the morning, by the way. I have off on Monday. Uh, So I I maybe will tape when I get up. So just a heads up there if you're looking for content. Uh, But I I will try my best to get, get it out sooner rather than later. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you on Monday. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.